Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Well, you know that we have the new NAFTA deal, right? The Now it's the USMCA. I should have made that the quiz question tonight. What does USMCA stand for? Uh, everyone has a different answer for that one. We'll get to that shortly. But the, the we have a deal which is good. Everybody says that this is a good thing, that this is a positive thing, that we are way better off with a deal, even an imperfect deal, than no deal at all. And we're going to have Marvin Ryder on in just a couple minutes. He's going to be joining us shortly. We're just waiting for Marvin to, to catch up. But while we're talking about all the stuff that's going on in this deal and whether it's pro or con for Canada, I can't help but wonder if perhaps I'm being selfish. I don't know. Wonder if I'm missing the big picture and Marvin will help illustrate this. But when you read through what this deal is going to do and some of the things it's going to allow more competition from American dairy industry to come into Canada. We're not going to have full protectionism as we do right now, or almost full protectionism. That we're going to be allowed to bring more stuff, more value of things across the border. Seemingly, as I understand it, the amount that you can carry across the border now will go way, way up. We will be able to have more access to things online. When you send to Amazon or something that you will not fa- uh, face as many duties. You won't face as many costs to bring those things across the border. I'm trying to not be selfish about this, but to me right now, that's sounding pretty good. That's sounding like it would be a positive thing, at least in my life. Now, here's the weird part about this. All those things that I just said that are things that sound like they may actually along the way be positive to me, A, may actually impact negatively on our businesses. I understand that. And B, those are all things that Trump fought for and our government fought against, which which really makes it confusing to try and figure out who is fighting for who and whether we should be fighting for the things we're fighting for. And again, I understand that we want to protect our businesses. We want to protect our industries. We want to have jobs here. Of course we do. Of course we do. We don't want to just give it up and allow everyone to say, take whatever you want. The country is yours. Bring in whatever you want. Do whatever you want. We don't want to do that. But it is difficult. It is a challenge to look at this deal in some ways because we're still facing tariffs on steel and aluminum, which hurts Hamilton for now. Hopefully that can be changed. Again, we'll talk to Marvin in just a minute about it. But there are parts of this that you look at and you say to yourself, well, wait a second, I kind of like that idea with some of those things. And yet those are the things that we as Canadians apparently did not want. Again, I don't know if that makes me selfish or if that just makes me a realist or if that makes me confused. Could be all those things, I suppose. It is not an easy thing to wade through. It's not an easy thing to understand. Let me bring in Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business. He joins us now. Marvin, thanks for doing this today. My pleasure. We were just talking about some of the things that are tricky about this deal because many of the things, dairy now, we may have lower prices, more selection of cheeses and other things in this country. We can bring more stuff across the border. There are things about this that may individually uh, appeal to a lot of us. There are other factors though in this that could actually affect some of our businesses. Is this a good deal overall for us or is this a, a neutral deal or a bad deal? 
Yeah, I'm going to say I think it's a good deal, in part because it really allows the old NAFTA, and we'll call it NAFTA 1.0, to continue on. And many of the good things in there we have been able to keep, even though Donald Trump said 13 months ago he wanted to rip those things up. Now, we've had to give a couple of things up, and you mentioned probably the biggest is the dairy industry. Right now, American dairy products account for 3.25% of the Canadian market, and we've agreed to take that up to 3.6%. Now, yes, there are leaders and leaders and leaders of milk involved, but look, we're not taking the lid off. We're not letting their products just flow into the market, and so there will be some impact. We'll see some uh, relaxation of prices, but for a very little, uh, in my mind, a very little opening of the market, we got the most important thing of all, which is the dispute resolution mechanism. In the last 25 years, six times Canada took the United States to dispute resolution, and we won every single time. That quickly explains why the United States wanted to remove it and why we were so desperate to leave it in. Now that the dust has settled, it's still there. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are talking about the dispute resolution process, and I want to go here, even though it probably is the least interesting for a lot of people part of this, because this was the hill, it seemed, that the Trudeau government was ready to die on. And a lot of people don't really understand why that would be. Why is this so key? Well, you know, use a simple example here that in the United States, the government passes some rule like these tariffs that they were putting on Canadian steel. And we say, wait a minute, that's not fair. That's not consistent with the NAFTA deal. What the Americans had wanted was that we would then complain about that in an American court to an American judge using American precedents. We didn't want that. What we have today and what we've used successfully in the last 25 years is a different approach. A three-person panel of judges, one from Canada, one from the United States, one from Mexico, is appointed. They use international law as the precedent. They hear the case and they say, here's what's fair, here's what's right, here's what's wrong. And interestingly, in the 25 years, every time we took the United States to the tribunal, we won. That's part why the United States wanted to change the rules. They were getting tired of losing. I would say if you're getting tired of losing, don't pass bad legislation. But nonetheless, that's why we needed it in there. The Mexicans didn't fight for this, although they're thrilled to have it, because in the 25 years of NAFTA, Mexico had never once complained about American policy. I know that strikes you as amazing, but they didn't. So they didn't worry about it. It was something we never used, but we have used it, and we have used it successfully. Hamilton is certainly still affected by this because there are still tariffs on steel and aluminum, but I understand that there is something written in this that would allow us to maybe renegotiate this later again? Well, in a way. So uh, you might remember that Mr. Trump had been threatening to escalate the tariffs. If he didn't get his way, he might put tariffs on automobiles and auto parts of 25%, and that would be disastrous for us in Canada and Ontario. could send us back into a recession. So what Mr. Trudeau was concerned about, we could sign the NAFTA deal one day, and then the next day Mr. Trump says, I'm going to put tariffs on you. So we have this new thing, USMCA. We also have a side deal today that covers the automotive sector. And in essence, what's in there is a quota. As long as Canadian car production into the United States stays below a certain level, they're not going to put tariffs on us. And by the way, that level they've picked is 40% above our current level of selling cars. So for the foreseeable future, it will have no impact on us at all. Today at the news conference, Mr. Trump and Mr. Lighthizer asked directly about the tariffs on steel and aluminum. They said, well, no, but what we want to do is use that same deal, that side deal on cars, and use the same structure. In essence, we'll agree, Canada will agree to a certain volume of steel and aluminum. That will come into the United States duty-free, but if you exceed it, we'll put those tariffs back. Because it's going to be so easy to negotiate, I suspect that side deal will be done within the next four to six weeks. 
and for uh, Stelco and DeFasco, this is going to give them some assurances going into 2019 and 2020 that the tariffs are gone. That will let, let them sell their steel, or in the case of Quebec companies, sell their aluminum. We'll get this solved. The problem was I had hoped for it today. We're going to have to wait another four to six weeks. But still better than the alternative, by the sounds of it. Absolutely. Better than where we were even a week ago when Mr. Trump was saying, well, if I don't get what I want by September 30th, hello, 25% tariffs on cars. We, we just didn't want that. And, and that's one of the reasons why the markets are up today. They like all of this news because it brings so much more certainty to the process. The uncertainty was really dragging things down. There was, um, and there are a lot of good things in this, it sounds like, or a lot of um, relief, I guess, for a lot of Canadians. There was some stuff in there that when the Trudeau government said they were going into this, they were demanding there was going to be gender equity things going on and there was going to be Indigenous things going on. It sounds like those kind of got left at the door. This ultimately ended up having to be an, uh, an economic deal rather than a social justice deal, correct? Well, I'll split the hairs with you a little bit here. You know, certainly in this deal, it's a modernization of NAFTA, and there are agreements in there around labor issues. There are issues in there around the environment. There are some aboriginal issues in there. Now, did we get everything we wanted? No, but it is a much more modern and much more up-to-date agreement than it had been truly just a few weeks ago. Uh, and so do that's the whole thing in a negotiation. You can never quite get everything you want. That's why in one way it's a win-win-whiz, and another way it's a lose-lose-lose. Nobody got everything they wanted, but you trade off and you get most and you say, okay, in six years, and this is already written into this new agreement, in six years, we sit down and do this all over again to review it. And if we see it then, we might be able to work it in then. So sometimes you get there in two steps when you can't get there in one. I did read, though, that uh, in a number of places that Canada was really for the state's position that this was a, a hard negotiation, but Canada was never really the issue here that this is a stepping stone negotiation to what the U.S. is going to be facing with China and had to set some stuff up to show China what they were dealing. Is there anything to that? Well, a little bit. You know, the United States, I'm going to say, is a little embarrassed about the fact that Canada has outmaneuvered them. Remember, Donald Trump came into office and he canceled the Trans-Pacific Partnership. He assumed it would be dead, and instead the other 11 nations have come together, Canada leading that in a way. So we've got a free trade deal with all those nations around the Pacific. We have a free trade deal with Europe. The United States doesn't have that. Uh, Britain has already said they want a free trade deal with Canada. They haven't said that to the United States. And now China says they want to talk trade with Canada. Of course, America and China aren't talking at all. So I, I think they wanted to get some victory here so they could say, hey, it's not not just Canada that wants to do trade, we want to do trade too, but certainly today, our profile, Canada's profile as a trader in the world's economy is just as high as it's ever possibly been. It really makes us look good. And in fact, I won't be surprised if Mr. Trudeau hops on a plane and uses the halo effect from this to talk to other nations. We could very well do very well from this new deal. Marvin Ryder, another time for another Red Bull and off to do a few more interviews. Appreciate the time today. My pleasure. Take care, Thanks Scott. Thanks for this. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Last week, late last week, we were chatting about how quiet things seemed to be in the municipal election. You were seeing nothing, you were hearing nothing, at least very little. Well, over the weekend, it seems like the election turned on, did it? Not all of a sudden, you drive up and down the street and it's like everybody got out and decided, all right, all right, let's flick the switch, let's begin this thing, time to start trying to get my name out there. I, I think opportunities have been lost, quite honestly. I've said this before. I think waiting has hurt 
Some people in a, in a municipal election where name recognition is so valuable and so crucial, I think some people have allowed too much time to go by and are not going to be able to catch up and make up ground, but that's just my opinion. You can disagree. But what we have noticed and what I think that most people, myself included, and probably you, have expected all the way along is what's actually happening right now. In addition to the signs, in addition to people deciding to get the treadmill fired up and beginning to get going on this election thing, there is one topic that has taken center stage, that is in the spotlight, that is on the riser, whatever metaphor you wish to use, there is one topic that is already beginning to dominate the discussion Actually, be, not begin is not the right word. It's always been there. It's just really come to life again. And that is, of course, LRT. If you were listening at the top of the show, you heard Rick Zamperin doing the news, talking about LRT. There are different groups that are now operating, not as, not as direct political groups, as lobby sort of groups, as public opinion generating groups. One of them is hashtag yes LRT. One of them is no LRT Hamilton, but that's just the start of it. That's just the people on the periphery of this. Because my understanding, best of my understanding, those are not people running for office. Those are simply people encouraging you to vote for people on your side or the other who are running for office that also share those opinions. But there are lots of people who are running who also have opinions. Uh, You know that the mayoral race right now is really seems to be anyway a two-candidate race. There's 15 people who are running, but there's two serious candidates. There could be more. I mean, others could emerge out of mayoral debates or other things, but right now it seems to be Fred Eisenberger, who is definitely a yes LRT, and Vito Scro, who has taken the position no LRT. I'm frankly shocked he hasn't gone with the veto for the veto line yet, but, you know, give it time. There's time still to go to the election. I think that would be memorable. That would be the kind of thing people would remember when they walk in. Anyway, so we have two mayoral leaders on distinctly opposite sides of this. One definitely yes, one definitely no. Uh, Today, a press release was put out by Brad Clark, who's running for Ward 9. Brad Clark calls for cancellation of LRT. Not, there's no mincing of words in there. There's no playing around and trying to land somewhere on the fence so that voters could maybe interpret what he's saying one way or the other and not commit to a position. No, let's cancel the LRT. I mean, it's a long press release. I'm not going to read the whole thing. You can go onto his website if you want and find it. Point is, this seems to be right now, as I expected, a lot of people figured would be the case. This seems to be the issue that is beginning to take over this election, that is beginning to dominate the discussion. And if there is anything that people are actually thinking about on this municipal election, I got to believe it's this. But I want to hear from you. I want to know two things today, and you can answer either or both of them. One, do you prefer... And I think I know what the answer would be. I would hope I would know what the answer would be. Do you prefer that candidates do what Vito Scroll, Fred Eisenberger, Brad Clark have done and leave no room for waffling on issues? 
I am absolutely on board or I am absolutely opposed. Do you like that when the candidates do that? Again, I would assume the answer is yes, but I would love to hear if there's some other explanation or some other thing that you would prefer, that you would like to have a candidate that has more nuance or more parsing of the thing. I would think that everybody wants to have it in black and white, so I know exactly where my candidate stands, and I can then vote for or against. But the second part is, is there any other issue in this election that really has your interest? I'd love to know. Because I think the LRT in a lot of places is going to be the issue that drives a lot of people to the poll. 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Is LRT in your mind, even though how far down the, the road are we now? And again, pardon all these puns. It's really hard to do an LRT discussion and not make unintentional puns about something about travel or trains or anything else. We came in with ACDC, rock and roll train. Again, it is the case. It's hard to do this. But at this point, is there, you must have a position on LRT. It seems to be this far down the road that we might have dealt with this already. Is there any other issue in this election that has really grabbed your attention? Or is LRT the thing? Frank is up first today. Frank, how are you today? I'm just great, thanks, uh, Scott. Um, any other issue? Yeah, I, I'd like to. I would have would have hoped there'd be some more impact put on getting 724 uh, go train service into Hamilton. We're we're escalating uh, residentially downtown. We're getting people coming in from all four corners. The highways are full. I think it's long, long overweighted that we don't have the train coming here, uh, just like as it is into not too far from us, uh, right over there in Wind Waterdown. And I would, I'm, you know, LRT is predominating the discussion. Uh, you know, a lot has to do with <laughs> you guys in the, in the media that you know keep on ringing the bell on this thing. And maybe somebody should come up and say, what's going on here with our other activities within the this election that we should be concentrating on? Do I think? don't disagree with your point, Frank. A couple points. I don't disagree that we in the media are keeping this going. Although I, this, whenever we decide to talk about the election, the LRT is what comes up. So it's the chicken or the egg or the dog chasing its tail. It's one or the other. Whoever's leading it. The second part is, I don't know that there is a candidate alive right now who has the um, the steam or the masochistic tendencies in the midst of an election where LRT does seem to be the dominant thing to raise another transit issue and get bogged down with that too. I think most people would, most candidates would rather run away from all the transit, just have it yeah, solved yeah. as opposed to opening new doors. Yeah, you good point. Maybe this should have been uh, something on the outset, but now to to sort of shift gears would be a little bit uh, trying on them. Yeah, the the, the focus is right. We, so we're so close. But somewhere along the line, though, Scott, it, when it's all started, uh, you know, matter of fact, I'll, I'll take back what I said. You just said that uh, uh, you just brought it up yourself. What else would you want to hear from? And I think that question should have been asked on the radio or, or anywhere else a little while ago. Frank, so I got to run. I got to run to a break. Yep, I got to yep. run to a break, but I really appreciate the call. But thank you for calling in. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're chatting about the municipal election, as you will hear a lot of in the next few weeks. We are now into October. This is literally the home stretch. But we're talking about the LRT specifically because a number of things have happened in recent days, recent, well, really recent days, that have really, seems to me, distilled this discussion, distilled this election down to one issue. Now, there are other issues out there. 
And that's part of what I'm asking you right now. Are there, I'm asking you this, are there other issues besides LRT that you would rather be the focus of discussion? Because as I see it right now, this is an election that for mayor and for councillors is revolving around this issue. This is the number one issue that I'm hearing about. But is there something else that you wish was way more, or in your mind, is way more important and is just getting bogged down in this? Fred is up next. Fred, how are you? How you doing, Scott? Well, nice to hear you again. I'm great. Thanks, Fred. What do you think about this? Is there something other than LRT, or is yes, this the yes, thing? Yes, there is. But first of all, the LRT is no good for ha- Hamilton, because I live on the escarpment, and it's no good for me up in the escarpment. So will all. you be voting for someone largely based on their LRT stance? Yes, yes, I will. Okay. Uh, Fred hasn't got my vote okay. right now. The other issue that I find with the city of Hamilton, we have the gold train. And I found out that some of the track is not owned by the same people that use the train, the track from the gold train from Burlington on into Toronto. And I was kind of surprised about that because they can make a dollar there and have people use the train. Like we, we fixed up that bloody building downtown for the gold train and everything, and we, it's not even being used. Like, to me, it's crazy. Uh, the GO Train, you're the second one to talk about the GO Train. So maybe maybe people are listening. Maybe the GO Train gets back into the discussion here. Although, Fred, as I said to Frank, and I'll let you go, I think that there's a lot of councillors or candidates for council and mayor who would rather stick a screwdriver in their ear hole and start another discussion about transit right now. But, Fred, I appreciate your call. Thank you so much. L- you. Let me go to Mike. Oh, hold on. Oh, that's that's a deadline. There's Mike. Mike, how are you? Very good. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, thank you. So, uh, is there a discussion, a topic, an issue other than LRT that you think is more important right now? I, I'm with the same guy on the, that was on there earlier. I live on the escarpment, so to be honest with you, I think they got some nerve making that a topic, number one topic, when you're discluding half of the population of Hamilton. So, so I'll ask you the same question I asked him. Will your view on LRT dis- the determine who you cast a ballot for? Is that going to be the thing that largely drives you? No, you know what? I, I tell you, I just had my, my dad at the hospital not too long ago, and watching how overloaded those hospitals are, it just it drives me nuts to think that they don't have more beds in there to put these people into different areas. And then my other big one is education, is the schools, a lot of schools are overloaded. A lot of them need repairs. I mean, people can always get on a bus and go somewhere. Whether they get there quick or not, it doesn't matter. But these other places are what keep us alive and what educates our population. So Mike, that's, I, what I'm, that's what I'm looking at. I appreciate your call. Uh, it's a, that, Some of Mike's comments are tricky because uh, health is a provincial thing, so the city doesn't really have anything to do with that. Now, we do have a school board. Here, someday before the election, we should do a test. Because if you think that people don't really know who their candidates are or much about their candidates for council, I would love to know how people decide who they're going to vote for for school board. I mean, if I honestly, if I was running for school board, I would go to the, wherever you go to officially legally change your name. And I would come up with something so ridiculous just so I could get my name on the ballot so that people would go, oh, I don't know anything about any of these people, but that looks fun. Because nobody, sadly, sorry, school board trustee candidates, but really very, very few people know who they're dealing with when they talk about that. They really don't know. 
Let me go to another mic, mic number two. Sir, how are you today? I'm fine, Scott. Very well. No problem. A couple of things. Uh, one has come up before term limits for councillors. Yes. Now, uh, could you ever imagine councillors putting term limits on themselves? No, but uh, <laughs> no, no, they would no, no. But I could, I, I agree with you. I would love to see that, but that's going to have to, I think, be something that comes from the province yeah. on them, and who knows? Two, t- two term limits would be uh, ideal. Uh, the infrastructure in the city, roads and sewers, have to be addressed sooner than later. Okay, that has to be done. Of course, the GO train, of course. I would like to see full-day GO service to Hamilton. Mike, you just mentioned, though, infrastructure, which ties in again yeah. to the idea of the billion dollars for LRT. If yeah. Some people would say, and Brad Clark, who just, as I say, put out this yeah, press yeah. release, yeah. if we don't do LRT, we have money perhaps to do that. I doubt that. I, I said if we uh, if we uh, go slow on this, we'll <coughs> lose all the money. And I think we've come down the path so far. We can't turn back, unfortunately. So are you are you going to be casting your vote for your councillor or your mayoral candidate largely based on LRT or based on other factors? Uh, based on other factors, but reluctantly, uh, Fred has my vote because I feel we've gone too far. Era. Reminds me of uh, Gore Park back in the 80s when it was half built and half destroyed. Mike, I appreciate your call. Thanks for doing this. Take care. All the best. It is, uh, look, we're going to be talking about it a lot. I I guarantee you we're going to be talking about it a lot because as we get closer and closer, two things. We know from history with Red Hill Creek, with the stadium, we know from history two things. One is that the passion that people have and the anger people have is going to get up there. People are going to get more and more cantankerous about this and more and more dug in. And two, this is, in my mind, from what I'm hearing so far, going to be the issue. There are other issues, but this is going to be the one that is going to cause a lot of people, when they finally cast their ballot, this is going to be the one that tells them which name they're going to check off. They may like some things, they may like other things of different candidates, but the LRT right now seems to be the thing that is going to make the biggest impact. We'll talk about it more later. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in Don Robertson, the owner and operator and everything else of the Dundas Real McCoys, who must be getting ready to start pretty soon at this point. As soon as we find a home. Well, you know, I was going to start there, but let's do it. I mean, and he's also with ComChoice Realty and a bunch of other things, if you don't know that. But, um, you know, I was going to get to that later in the show, but why don't we jump into that right now? Because the JL Greitmeyer Arena, where you are supposed to be playing, your home rink for... 15 years? 2019 this year. All right. Is not finished. It was They're having a, a renovation of it, more, probably more than a renovation. That's maybe not a significant enough term. It's a redo of the arena. It's more than, it was more than a cleanup. Let's put it that way. They're changing the arena, but it's late and it's going to be what, mid-November now, almost December before it's done? It's $7 million, seven, $7 million, so it's a little better than a rental. Interestingly enough, though, the, the building part, the arena section where you sit and everything else, the only thing changing there is we're putting a walking track in for people to go in and be able to walk indoors in the winter, presumably. Yep. In the summertime, it's nice enough outside. So, And all the dressing rooms, the minor hockey are the big winners. Uh, the junior season McCoys will now have the smallest dressing rooms in the building and the old building dressing rooms are going to be all gone. Some of them you couldn't swing a cat in. They were so small. And um, that's for all the cat lovers. 
and uh, the, so the re- remodel. Why do we say that about cats? You can't swing a cat. You can't swing a dead cat. You can't skin a cat. Someone who came up with all these phrases really didn't like cats. No, they didn't. No one ever says that about dogs. Oh, dogs are nice. Well, anyway, back to your point. Um, so the main lobby's all redone, and there's a second floor that's kind of a viewing area, which will host the um, Dundas Sports Wall of Fame. So there was a lot, and there was a lot of delays. Uh, that the building had to be waterproof, so... Conservation Authority were satisfied. I mean, there was fear that if a flood came, uh, hockey players would drown in the dressing rooms, I guess. And um, But it's been, it had to be waterproof. That's in excess of a million dollars. So there's a lot of things going on. I mean, it's right beside Spencer Creek. Um, but, but it's late. And it's, everything... It's late. And Don, it, everything is late. Well, it's... Uh, I'm. We got an update from city staff and uh, minor hockey were there. Uh, Christine Dodds, president of Dundas Minor Hockey, and Steve Agler, the president of Dundas Blues, myself. And I'm co-chairing the project with Russ Powers and I. I, I'm grateful to say that. I'll be a lot happier when it's done because it's going to be a fabulous facility for the kids, dressing rooms. The whole thing will be state-of-the-art. But we were told October 9th instead of Labor Day. So me being me, I went over to see the contractor, the superintendent, went to his trailer, Said, I need to park some cars here. We're going to be, you know, our players are going to be in the Caxton Festival Parade and want to move our rink boards from Harry Howell Arena. We'd like to do it on a concrete floor rather than the ice. Makes life a lot easier when you stick them up and you're standing on concrete and not wiping out. Um, yeah, it's no problem. He said, you can bring the boards down and, you know, we'll make arrangements. Just needed to get in there a few days before they turn the ice machine on. <clears throat> And uh, the next, we were supposed to go on an arena tour. And next thing you know, we're getting an email from the city saying, project's delayed again. It's going to be in November. We are now trying to sort out ice allocations for minor hockey and all the user groups until January 2nd. So I have no idea where that meeting in the trailer, so I could get a sense of what was going on, how it went off the rails. It, superintendent said, Don, the plan is that we're going to have the building sealed, which I guess is a big word in the construction business, um, by the end of the week. I'll tell you where it went off the rails, in, in my opinion, and, and I'm not talking in far, as far as the specific construction thing, but it was, it was brought up this week that the penalties for being late are not very big. Well, they're, not, know, they're not very big. I just did a little chunk with Mike Fortune on Cable 14, and if you, if, if, even if you don't understand basic arithmetic, the fines for being late are $1,000 a day. So if you want to... And if it's a $7 million project, <clears throat> that's, that's, that's nothing. I didn't make the rule. It's, no, no, I know. But, but it's $1,000 a day. So if the contractor to meet the deadline has to invoke overtime and it's going to cost them $4,000 a day and you're going to be 60 days late, do you pay the sixty dollar fine or the six or sixty thousand dollar fine, or do you pay two hundred and forty thousand dollars in overtime? Basic arithmetic says we're not worried about the kids, we're not worried about the Dundas Blues, and we're sure as hell not worried about the Dundas Real McCoys. It can be late. It's the hub of the community, whether it's St. George, whether it's Caledonia, whether it's Dundas, Ancaster. Forget amalgamation. Dundas is still Dundas when it comes to hockey. Flamber is still Harry Howell when it comes to hockey. Stony Creek, I mean, all of them have homes, and those are the hubs. That's where the rib fest is run. 
the fish fry, that's where communities come together, is local hockey arenas. And there seems to be a disconnect. And where the city will find a correction, I'm sure, they'll make the fine so substantial the guys that bid on it will either know they're going to get it done or it's going to cost them every dime they're going to make. Well, and see, that's what I'm really hoping. That's what I'm hoping. Last hour we were talking about things in the uh, in the municipal election. I would love to see, and I don't even know if it's a municipal issue, to be honest. I'm assuming it is. I'm assuming a city council could set what the penalties are going to be. I would love to see Hamilton City Council say, if you're going to bid on a municipal project, you are going to tell us what the date is going to be. We're going to agree on what the date is going to be. And if you can't reach it by that date, it's $100,000 a day after that. You want to know something? Not one person would ever be late again. Now, and if there's some overwhelming, if, if, you know, if the second flood of Noah comes in and the whole town of Dundas is underwater, I think the city of Dundas, the city of Hamilton will be real, real reasonable because you understand that's well, the case. Those, those types of things, uh, Scott, are generally built into contracts, act of nature or of course. Uh, act of God. Yeah, but what- Tornado goes through town. Uh, yeah, if you've finished it all but not 10% and a tornado rips the roof off, you can't be expected to be done the next day. Of course not. But the, the other thing that, that, that uh, is generally built into those things, if, there are, if, if the city give you, say, here's what you're dealing with and here's what you have to do and here's where the sewer is, here's where the water is and everything else- the sewers aren't there and the water aren't there yet, but they will be by the time you're done and you get the building done and or there's nothing to hook into. That's no fault of the builder. But it should have been pretty clear where the streets were and there was some talk about water mains and how you shut that off. This thing is months behind. It's not a water main issue. But it's not alone, there, Don. There's some other things, some extenuating circumstances, I'm sure, that are no fault of the builder and may blame may be laid at the feet of the city, but a thousand dollars a day is not acceptable. So if those things come up that are out of the contractor's control and clearly at the fault of the city, that's a different story. Of course it is. But I don't see the city blame or the contractor who apparently don't speak publicly probably nothing. But this is not, as I say, this is not alone. This, uh, I, I, I don't even know if the stadium. Tim Hortons Stadium. Tim Hortons Field. I don't even know if it's finished yet. If it is, it's just recently and it was two or three years behind. There, This is a regular thing. We hear about this stuff regularly. That is, there seems to be this sense, and you may have just highlighted why it is, that there's no real rush. And I do know of other building projects, and I, don't, I can't tell you if they're municipal or if they were provincial or federal, where there have been bonuses for finishing early. And whether you want to penalize for finishing late or give bonuses for finishing early, do something that makes sure that these things are done. Because again, now minor hockey is put out and has to try and figure stuff out. You have to figure stuff out. The Blues have to figure stuff out. It's not fair. It's not fair to the users of these buildings that, again, best of my knowledge, there have been no tornadoes. There have been no hurricanes. There have been no biblical floods. There have been no earthquakes. There's, uh, it's hard on organizations. Like ours, our, we have a wonderful group of uh, executive that do yeoman's work. But when we go to Harry Hall Arena, we have to put up some curtaining because it's a wide open area and we charge to get in. So that's another hour for half a dozen guys before the game, another hour after the game to take it all down. And I have to say, the people that run Harry Hall Arena have been absolutely spectacular to us. They're very wonderful. 
but it also affects Flamborough Minor Hockey and other various minor hockey associations around the city. The frustration for the DMHA executive and their coaches. Um, well, you do a schedule. For, uh, look, I, I years ago when my kid was playing minor hockey and I was coaching, I became friends with the scheduler for all the rep hockey for the association. That job is about as much fun as being the guy who follows, who drives along the highway and has to scoop up the animal corpses on a hot summer day. Like it is, it is a thankless job to be the scheduler because every coach has a different request. And once the schedule comes out, everybody wants to change everything. Well, now you're into almost the season and you've, and then they say, oh, by the way, new plan. In the middle of September. Yeah, that's the totally guy, unfair. The guy that's going through cruel and unusual punishment is Gord Young at the city who allocates the ice time. I mean, the the chaos that was thrust upon him. It's not fair. It's not fair. Not, it's not good. And organizations will will get fed up and get frustrated along with the financial losses. I mean, our, our attendance was less than half it normally is up at Harry Howell Arena. Harry are you a getting nice a refund for that? Dundas. Are you getting a refund? I haven't got a check yet. But one thing I did say earlier, and that is an absolute fact, we give money to a charity at every home game, and we wrote every check we promised this year. Now, that just added to the losses, but we have an obligation to the community to fulfill our obligations. But see, the builders, frankly to me, should also be on the hook for whatever losses that the users are facing. I mean, it, be, it becomes impossible. It becomes an impossible thing even you know, to say that, well, the parents who have to now drive their car should get refunds on their gas. I mean, it becomes impossible to say that, but surely we've got to go to a break. If, if we are in a position where it is city council that is able to pass these things or make decisions on these things or city staff to sign off on these contracts, it has to be way more punitive. The, Way more punitive. The city, the, the city, I believe, at the last council meeting opted to give the DMHA and the Blues free ice time this year. And that's good. They should. But and, that's and not they the should, s- but you know what? The Dundas Blues would say, we'd rather pay our ice bill and be a jail great uh, Fair enough. At least they're doing something, and it's not the city's fault, except for the fact that they apparently haven't created a situation where people are scared to be late. No, but they can at least take the $1,000 a day late fees and apply it towards some relief to these guys. But you know what? Tell that to a uh, a parent who's got a kid in uh, House League in Dundas, and they're now driving them to Eastwood. Tell them that and see how happy they are. Or with two kids, and they've got two kids that are now... Yeah, one's in Ancaster, yeah. one's in Harry Howell, yep. I will hope that this will be something that will be a learning tool for the new city council to come in and direct the city staff to negotiate deals that... Well, if the residents of Ancaster do the right thing, I'm, I think you're going to see uh, Lloyd Ferguson lead that charge. And I can tell you one thing. Arlene Vanderbeek, the, our councillor now, who's up for re-election, has done everything but strap on a tool belt and go down and work at J.L. Greitmeyer. She has been um, ferocious at her approach to make sure this thing gets done on time. So hats off to her. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Where do I want to go here? I got a lot of things I want to talk to you about. Oh, the Canadians, Montreal Canadiens today introduced Shea, or announced that Shea Weber is their new captain. What did he do to them? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm confused by this. And you're a hockey guy. First of all, Shea Weber is injured and isn't going to be playing until roughly Christmas time. So why do you introduce a captain now who's not going to be playing 
particularly when the Montreal Canadiens are not exactly in a position where there's a risk that they could win a Stanley Cup this year and have to have someone go to center ice to collect it. What's the point? Clarification purposes. What does that mean? Well, you know, everybody's going to say when you play your first game and there's no captain, first questions are going to be, or they were probably today or they were coming in Montreal, right? So who's the captain going to be? And you say, who cares? We'll tell you when we tell you. We're not having a captain this year. The Leafs did that for the last couple of years. We're not having a captain this year. And then the questions stop, at least. And if they don't stop. Not in Montreal, they don't. Yeah, if you say. In Arizona, they do. If you're, they if, say, have you ever had one? Yeah, well, if you say we're not having a captain this year, I think they would stop. Because, again, it's not like Montreal is at risk of winning the cup. Yeah, but they want to have a captain. And they want it to be Shane Weber, and they're sorry he's hurt. I mean, See, I don't think they want, I don't think the fans there want it to be Shea Weber. That's the other thing. I don't think there's a hue and cry in Montreal for Shea Weber to be the captain. I think, if anything, the fans there would have wanted Brendan Gallagher to be captain. Does he speak French? Neither does Weber. No, but does Gallagher? No. I don't, well, not that I know of. Yeah. Neither one does. I think, but that, Max I think that annoys them. Max Pacioretty didn't either, <clears throat> I don't think, as far Sacco as I know. Sacco Coivoy didn't either. He already spoke so. English when he got here. Uh, you know, it, it's a... I just don't under I just don't understand the the thought process behind the rush to throw a captain in there, especially a guy who will be coming back from a blown out knee who's something like thirty six years old, thirty five, thirty six, whatever he is. Probably short term, obviously, right? Well, again, Gallagher's a young guy who's going to presumably be around for a long time. If you're the Montreal Canadiens, do you not want to have a guy who's going to theoretically be the captain for? some period of time. Well, the interesting thing is you're not in the war room, right? So maybe there's trade talks with Gallagher. He's going to be part of the rebuild. Well. You know, the, the, you don't want to start trading the captain every other year. Somebody's going to say, I don't want to be captain. Well, and I'll tell you one other thing. It's like Shea, being coach of the year and getting fired the next year. I guess. Shea Weber also, as I say, he's 35, 36, 37, something in there. He's not, I don't think he's 37 yet. And he's coming back from a wrecked knee. So when he comes back, there is a at least a likelihood, at least a possibility that he is not the guy, not the player that he has been. And Montreal fans are not exactly... Forgiving? Forgiving, exactly. Gracious. So now a guy comes back and he isn't playing up to his usual standard. Do you really want that guy to have the seat? Do you want to... That's what happened with Dion Phaneuf, not that he was hurt. That's what happened, that you made the guy a target. In, in Well, that was with the Leafs, obviously. To me, it just, the whole thing just seems to make no sense at all. Rick Vive is a 22-year-old captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs, or young, early 20s. Yeah. Here's how, here's how it may have unfolded in Montreal. Everybody's there. Weber's not. He's uh, not participating. So this is a... They ask everybody else, and they went, you know what? Weber's not even here. We're tired. We asked nine guys. They all said no. Weber's not around. He's it. So, or maybe it was just Bergevin, Mark Bergevin, the GM saying, well, since everybody wants to talk to the captain <laughs> and we're going to stink so badly this year, let's make it a guy who's not around until Christmas so they have nobody to talk to. It's self-defense. Shane, Shane Weber announces the rehab will now take place in Florida. Yes, until 2027. He, he won't be back until he's 43 years old. <laughs> Please send checks to Fort Lauderdale. I don't know. Um, while we're on the topic of hockey and the, the season starts with Toronto and Montreal on Wednesday, and since we're talking about defensemen as well, uh, everybody has been talking for weeks now about the Leafs offense and it looks like it's going to be great. If you watched any of the preseason games, their power play looks crazy, but can a team win the NHL with a defense as suspect as Toronto's? 
Can, can teams in 2018, 19 simply outscore their opponents and bludgeon them with enough goals to win without any real defense? Um, you can win a Stanley Cup with a no-name defense. Uh, no, I didn't say no-name. Vegas got there. And Pittsburgh did. But the difference was they had decent defenses, even though they had no names. That's what I say. You can get there, but they can't be inadequate. That's what I'm. That's the, the difference. The key, the key for the Toronto Maple Leafs defense is, and they know it. They don't need a Paul Coffey, Bobby Orr, stretching for names, going back a long ways. They don't need a PK Subban. They need somebody that can get the puck in the hands of the skilled guys up front and play defense. Yeah, uh, Hainsey. Yeah, but Ron Hainsey He'll, is 30, 38 now, and he played a ton last year. You can't possibly play him as much again this year. But here's what he can do. He can make the first pass. And if you can make the first pass, let the horses go. And as long as they've got some guys, and they've got a couple of guys that can skate, Gardner and, and, and Riley are ready to maybe go to the next level. Let's hope they're ready to go to the next level if you're a Leaf fan, which I am. Um as long as they can get it in the hands of the forwards, you're going to be fine. And they can take care of their own knitting in their own zone. That's the big part, though. I'm not convinced that they can take care of their own zone. I think they, uh, Riley is a good offensive player. Gardner has shown that he can play offensively. Hainsey has been a, not a bad offensive player and a good penalty killer. But they don't have a lot of guys. They don't have the guy you put out there when you're nursing a two-to-one lead that can do the Chris Pronger thing. Now, I understand that Pronger was unique or guys like Lidstrom, whatever. They don't have a guy you put out there to say, shut this thing down. Well, here's the interesting point. The the, the type of defenseman you just talked about uh, that, that lots of people that get paid money to analyze hockey talk about all the time is you need that stud defenseman. Um, the problem is there aren't even 30 of those guys in the National Hockey League. Maybe 10. Maybe okay. So th- and San Jose has three of them. Th- well, let's see how. Let's see if they win the Stanley Cup. I mean, that'll be a great challenge, right? If the Leafs and, and the Sharks get in the finals, let's see if defense or offense win. The Edmonton Oilers were not blessed with great defensemen. Paul Coffey only lined up in that position for faceoffs. They had Kevin Lowe, Randy Gregg, Randy Gregg that were a little boring, yeah. but they got the puck to Gretzky and Messier and everything else. That system can work. When it comes down to the short strokes, the difference will be goaltending. Don't forget the Anaheim Ducks won a Stanley Cup with Beauchemin and Pronger and Niedermeyer. They've done the three defenseman superstar things, so you have two of those guys on the ice. All that the, I mean, the other interesting, defensemen interesting don't even matter. It's, it's Well, they weren't on the ice much. And that's what I'm saying. They don't even matter. You, you need, like, you these need guys a, are all playing 25 to 30 minutes a game. It doesn't, so you got... You got another twenty minutes to split up amongst three other guys. Yeah, just don't screw it up. Don't screw it up. Get the puck and shoot it off the glass out of our end, and then get off the ice. Told a thousand guys that they can't score from center ice. It is. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I'll be. I'll be interested to see if the Leafs are actually able to do this because. It's not that they're no name. I don't care if they're no name or not. I don't care if we don't really know them. The issue is, can you take care of your own end? And last year, I believe the Leafs gave up the most shots on net by a mile, by a mile. Freddie Anderson had something like 400 more shots on him than any other goalie in the league. Why well, you want a big goalie. There was a book that was written a few years ago asking all these questions that people have asked. And one of the questions was, 
would it work to get a sumo wrestler, put goalie pads on him and just plop him in front of the net and just simply make it really hard to score? And guys still score. They they t- tested it somewhere. They used some, you know, and they weren't NHL guys. And even mediocre guys, when they had, were still able to pick the corners. You, you know, you would need to have a guy who was nine hundred pounds. I would say sixty percent of the goals in the National Hockey League are tip-ins now. Sure, they screenshots are. that nobody can stop. So here's my strategy. Here's my here's my strategy, and you can use this. I give you permission for the Dundas Real McCoys to use this this year. If you get up by two goals late in a game, and you want to just make sure you can ride it out, I put my goalie at the top of the crease, and I put my three I put three guys behind him, shoulder to shoulder to shoulder from the goalpost to the goalpost, kneeling down. So you got your goalie in front, and you know what? I don't have three guys I can get to do that. Well, you'd have to probably put a a cage on their mask, give them a set, change helmets before they go on there, and just let the guys blast away, and the puck couldn't possibly go in. It couldn't, because the goalie would make the save, and if he happens to miss it, you just got to run out the clock for two minutes. Why don't you give the Hamilton Steelhawks permission to try that? I'm telling you, it would work. You would need to have some brave players. No question. You would need to have some brave I'm not players. sure brave's the word you're searching for. Well, slightly masochistic players. But if you're, now, if this you, comes from a former goaltender. If you, well, I never. it didn't worry me because the puck never hit me. It would hit the guys behind me. <laughs> if, the, if you had the championship on the line with two minutes to go and a two-goal lead, I would try that. If I was in minor hockey now, if I was coaching minor hockey, I would try that, especially where they're not shooting that hard. I would have three guys kneel down end-to-end-to-end, to end to end, side to side to side, on the go on the goal line and put the goalie in front of them and say, just say, don't touch it with your hands. It just get in the way of a shot if it comes. You couldn't score. I would say of the five hundred thousand people that are probably listening right now, there's enough minor hockey coaches that we're going to hear about somebody trying it. Just try it. I tell you another one that I didn't do this because it was it crossed my mind and I realized this would be such poor sportsmanship that I would probably be kicked out of coaching if I ever tried this. But it was a we were up by one goal with about 15 seconds left in a playoff game, and the faceoff was in our end, and it crossed my mind. Now, the kids were young. I wasn't going to do this, but it crossed my mind. As soon as the puck is dropped, drop your stick and just grab onto the guy across from you's stick and don't let him shoot. And the thing is, the ref can't blow the whistle until you touch the puck. Right? So you would just be able to run out the 15 seconds wrestling for the other guy's stick and tie it up. And even if you took a penalty, even if he blew the whistle, okay, so we wasted 10 seconds. Now they got to pull the, do it again. Again, I'm not suggesting this for kids hockey, but as a, as a, for a high level hockey for the Dundas Real McCoys, you got 15 seconds left and a face off in your end with a one goalie. You just grab the stick and hold on. There's no. Who's going to grab the defenseman's stick when they win the draw? How are you going to get back in time before he shoots it? He may get that a might shot. be why you're doing radio. He, he may he may get a shot away. You trust your goalie will stop that one, but no one's going to be able to go for a rebound because you've wrestled the sticks out of the other guy's hands. I'm telling you, it is a it is a strategy that would work. Or you just shove your net filled with players. I I can imagine Mike Babcock is listening right now, going, "Now I'm on to something." You want to know something? Roger Nielsen. Roger would Nielsen. Do stuff like that. Roger Nielsen. Did stuff like this all the time. The put a goalie them. in net for a penalty shot. No, he put a defenseman in net. For a penalty shot. For a skater in. Because the rule says at the time, the goalie had to stay in his crease until the player crossed the blue line. It said nothing about a defenseman. 
So as soon as the guy touched the puck at center ice, the defenseman just raced towards him between him and the net so he couldn't shoot it. And as soon as he got to the blue line, the defenseman was meeting him there and he knocked him off the puck. You know what else Roger Nielsen did? This is one of my favorite ones. When he pulled his goalie, he told his goalie to leave his stick lying along the top of the goal crease. So if the other team shot the puck down, it would hit the stick and stay out. But my all-time favorite Roger Nielsen rule break that eventually changed it was he got down by two men late in the game. Again, he had a lead. And kept taking penalties. And every time the other team would break out of their end, he threw a player onto the ice Took a too many men on the ice penalty. Now this was, remember, this was before the face-off automatically occurred in your end on a penalty. So as soon as they got out over their blue line, he threw the guy out for too many men on the ice. They blew the whistle. The face-off was at center ice. You win the face-off, dump it in. As soon as they come out, and he had like 18 guys in the penalty box. Didn't matter. It gave him enough time to run out the clock. Maybe one of his best accomplishments was he was coaching fastball in Peterborough. He went out to his catcher and gave him an apple. This guy in third base kept jumping off. He said, when you catch the ball, pick up and wheel the apple over the third baseman's head. So he did. The guy from third base come trotting in because he thought the ball was in left field and the catcher had the ball in his glove. <laughs> all these things end up, all these loopholes end up being filled. But I'm telling you, two minutes left, I want to see you do it. Have three helmets with cage mass on it because you don't want them to die. And put three defensemen kneeling down along the goal line with the goalie in front of them. The, the guy lines up for a slap shot and the guy's only no, got the, his shoulder pads on. No, the goalie's still trying to make the save. The goalie's not going to let it go through. But if he happens the to miss it. guy gets it in the throat or in the chest. What's wrong with you? You give him a. I get killed. You give him a neck guard. <laughs> There's a, you can do Back this. Back to this is why we're doing radio on a Monday. You're doing it every day, thank goodness. Uh, this is, I'm telling you, I would, I would be a winning coach with some of these ideas. <laughs> We may have players on the disabled list, but we'd win. I don't. I can't pick three guys yeah. that'll do it. Bob, that was a great block on that shot. Thanks, coach. <laughs> <laughs> I know it got you in the neck, but you saved the game. Thanks, coach. Yeah. And now we're tied for third. Good move. <laughs> and we're short a defenseman, but I'm telling you, it would work. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.